I have to make sure that doesn't end up in the podcast. <laughs> it definitely won't be the beginning credits. Howdy, everyone. It's Friday, January 6, 2017, and this is episode 33 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. I am Kyle Askin, and all, as always, I'm joined by Craig Stone. What's going on, Craig? Just happy to be here. <laughs> is it just because it's a new year you didn't know if you were going to make it? or? Yeah, like I said, every day you wake up, it's a good day. <laughs> just happy to be here. What are you drinking? Uh, not your father's root beer. I was hoping oh. not not to admit that on the air, Kyle. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were getting a new beer when we were. Oh no! Uh, I was after just... we were talking before the episode. Oh no! This thing's like a twenty-five ouncer, so I just poured more of it in there. <laughs> I'm glad that we could get that out on the air. I feel like yeah. I've accomplished something. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Do you have any 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 grievances you want to air before we kind of jump into the news, or should we get right into it? Uh, I think other people air their grievances and that's, uh, something that we're going to have to talk about, but I do, I mean, if this is a, an episode a week after our last episode, so that's rare. Um, but, yeah, but I, I felt like, uh, I mean, just a couple things to kind of let you guys in and to the factory and show you how the sausages are made. Just, uh, I felt like we had enough stuff. Uh, to talk about that we could do an episode today and i believe that our next episode which will be next week we'll have a guest on so hopefully that'll be a special treat for you so we wanted to kind of plow through all the news that's come up in the last week yeah three three episodes in in three weeks pretty rare for us but you guys will have lots of content to listen to hopefully that's a good thing and you're not like oh these guys again but i guess if you felt that way you would have deleted this from your feed Long oh. ago, and that would I don't be know. Personally, I've, a bunch of my podcasts are kind of on hiatus now because it's still close enough to the holidays. So ho- hopefully, we're doing people a service and not like making them feel like they have work to do. Yeah, I mean, if you're a completist like me, that does happen. I have to say, <laughs> even things you like, it's like, ah, why did they come out with another issue or whatever? Right. And there's a very, very well known. Uh, podcast among the gambling community that i am now like 12 episodes behind and like i don't know 25 hours or something like that so i still am <laughs> gonna listen to it but you don't just care, care to divulge which podcast yeah it, it, it's 88 days to macau it just is something that I'm, I'm really far behind on and it's just like the next couple episodes i have are are episodes where they're actually in macau the first time and it's like oh, wow. two, two and a half hour episodes. And it's just like, I, I always have other stuff to listen to. And it's like, I, I don't want to start this because then I'm like, you know, my next three days of commutes are, are taken care of. Yeah. And they're going to be it's in, a big commitment. in Macau again. It is a big commitment, but they're yeah. going to be in Macau again soon. You're going to be a full trip behind. They're going to get lapped basically by the podcast. Uh, I really like it too. It's just, it's a lot. Uh, I need to. I, I need to just buckle down and and do it. Spend the I don't know probably a month for for me and my podcast listening speed. Just just try to catch up. Yeah. All right. I th- I think we've probably gone off topic for for long enough. You wanna... yeah. I'm wondering if you're if you're dragging this on because you bet the over that this would take more than an hour. 
Yeah, I, I, let's we we can we can move on. I think um, we're still going to take more than an hour. But uh, you want to dive into kind of the follow up on the the Phil Ivy out of things since you it seems like you've done uh, the vast majority of the research between the two of us. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah. So we talked about the Phil Ivy. Uh, case with the Borgata where Phil Ivey lost the case and was ordered to pay, I think it was $9.6 million of Baccarat winnings back to the Borgata. Uh, if you haven't heard about the case or if you haven't heard our talking about it last episode, uh, we won't get into everything we said. But basically, we kind of focused really on whether or not Phil Ivey should have won the case. And we both kind of wavered on it i was even more sort of on the borgata side uh which listening back i think was probably overly favorable to the borgata you were more on ivy side but could sort of at least understand the borgata side and i think our for one thing just looking at it from that perspective of whether or not he should have won is like the wrong way to look at it because it's really about what the ruling says in broader terms and not whether or not he should have won. I don't know if you've changed your opinion at all about the actual sort of Ivy verdict specifically, like where it falls on that scale. I don't think it means too much really in the long run, but do you have anything to add about our talk last time? Uh, I, I have thought a decent bit about it after we got a, uh there was some disagreement with our opinions in the Facebook group, which is something that I think we went into this kind of expecting. And I've just kind of sat down and and thought about it and clarified my thoughts a bit. And I'm not really changing my opinion. I mean, my opinion has always been that Shalivy shouldn't have to pay, but I I think just to try to hopefully put it a bit more clearly than, than what I believed before. Um, you know, last episode I was saying that it, it probably was somewhere between, you know, card counting, which has been ruled uh, legal everywhere, and card marking, which is obviously illegal everywhere. But I, I've kind of thought about it and clarified my thoughts. And I think it is it is no different than card counting. But I, I think the thing that was tripping me up and that was kind of rubbing me the wrong way is, is you know, they're not physically handling the cards. They're not doing anything like that. But the effect to them is much more uh, like card marking. It actually is the exact same effect as card marking. And, you know, I think maybe just for me, like the thing that rubbed me the wrong way is so for card counting, you know, you're, you're taking something that's like a a 1% casino advantage. And then, you know, the one in however many shoes that you actually get like a, a a medium, like, you know, a, a medium high count and it's like a 1% player advantage or whatever. And and the percentages are so close that, I, I don't know, it's it's not something that bothers me at all. And, you know, but with card marking, you know, like let's say in blackjack, if you know that an ace is on top and you're going to get it, you know, suddenly the player has a gigantic advantage. And, and it's the same thing in Baccarat when you know that like a nine is going to come out to the player. Uh, and I think that's, that's what was rubbing me the wrong way. But, you know, I, I've thought about it and... And even though they kind of have the the benefits of card marking, uh, I still think this is the same as card counting, and and it it should not have been ruled against them. But I know that you have done a lot of research into this, so if you want to talk a bit more about the uh, the actual kind of 
things the judge has said in the in the case or in the summary and and stuff like that it might help for some of our listeners who don't know all the details of the case yeah, so I actually went into LexisNexis and uh, and read the case, read the ruling from October, uh, which was the initial ruling, and then they decided just a couple weeks ago what he actually had to pay back. Um, and it really hammered home to me that this discussion of whether or not Ivy should have won, and even the discussion of sort of where this falls on card marking to card counting, is just the wrong discussion to be having. Uh, and, and that was sort of where I realized, like, oh, okay, now I see why there is outrage. Because initially I was like, yeah, I agree that he, sh- he probably should have won. He didn't touch the cards, but I understand why he- it would get ruled against him. But the bigger picture is that the ruling has a lot of wording that affects a lot of things beyond this specific case. And, and I think our discussion last time would be fine if the ruling was very, very specific to this case. Um, so, so just a couple of things about what was in the ruling. First of all, it expanded uh, basically what can be considered card marking, uh, because Ivy and Son, like we said, did not mention, did not touch the cards. Uh, Son, who was sort of, I think, the mastermind, Ivy's. We talked about this last time, whether he's the accomplice or whatever, but yep. <laughs> sort of the guy. Yep. Who's I- Ivy is the accomplice. Yes. Yeah. Um, so some would basically say something in Chinese that either meant good card or bad card. And whatever he said, the dealer would either turn it. She said. Yeah, whatever she said, the dealer would either turn it or not turn it. So if it was like good card, they would turn the card. And that way when they came through again, uh, the edges would be clear. So they were saying, okay, well, this is – you didn't touch the cards, but it has the same effect as card marking. The ruling specifically says uh, that – Ivy and Son's interpretation of card marking is too narrow. So too narrow were the actual words. My problem with that is that it does not provide any clear parameters for what card marking actually is. So it's one thing to say, oh, your your interpretation is too narrow, but then to not provide any parameters means that you're creating this giant gray area, right? Where now you know you can create all kinds of of arguments about what is card marking or what is not card marking. And that really actually gets compounded because the reason given for why Ivy and Son have to pay the money back is that this is a violation of the Casino Control Act in New Jersey. It is not that they defrauded the casino or anything like that. It's that by tilting the odds in their favor, they violated the Casino Control Act, which, as the judge argued – is put in place to basically say, or not put in place, but part of which basically says the house has an edge. Uh, And it even goes as far as to say the reason for that, which is that, you know, casinos are only legal uh, or have only been legalized so that they provide tax revenue to the state, which only happens if players lose. Um, It says that players are expected to lose, which of course we know. Um, and basically gives that as the reason why card marking is bad. And so it, it kind of combines to say, like, arguably anything that tilts the odds in your favor is violating the Casino Control Act. And so that's really where it creates this giant umbrella that casinos could potentially use to sue people for, for winning. Um, one of the things that Eric actually said uh, in the Facebook group is... 
that I didn't actually understand at first. And then as I thought about it more, I did. And hopefully he'll correct me if I'm wrong on that. But he said that back when the mobs are in the casinos in Vegas, you wanted to win, but you didn't want to win too much, right? Because they're the mob and, <laughs> you know, they don't treat people nice. But this kind of – and I was kind of like, well, what does he mean by that? Like they're not going to kill you or anything or, or beat you up. But it's that they can – this creates – this giant umbrella, like I said, where the casino can make your life hell, basically. Like, they can threaten all sorts of lawsuits. All of a sudden, the sort of calculations for you as the player as to what your odds are of winning, right, and, and whether or not it's even worth challenging a lawsuit, uh, change dramatically. Because maybe you would have thought, well, I've got a 99% chance of winning this case, and now it's like, well, now with this ruling, maybe it's, it's significantly lower than that. Uh, so that's part of it. I think... Just generally, the the broadness of the wording is, is is kind of shocking in the ruling. Like I said, it says players are expected to lose, and part of that, part of the issue with that is that it even says, sort of mentions like long term versus short term. Like it says, oh, in the long term, the players are expected to lose, and it mentions the short term. And I and to that, I thought, well, okay, at least they do admit that you can win in the short term. But then when it comes to short term, it doesn't say really like it's okay if the player has an expected short-term advantage it says it actually uses the words lady luck like the player can only win in the short term if lady luck is on their side effectively so the words lady luck were used and i was kind of like oh that's kind of weird so so that also creates this weird situation where even if you're in a situation where in in very short term you've gained some advantage you could be technically in violation of the casino control act um, we can talk about possible examples if you want in a little bit. Uh, and then the other big thing about this is that it removes the onus from the casinos to provide proper implementation of the games, right? And that's one of the things that everybody was really upset about and, and harped on was Borgata agreed to these rules and sort of their ignorance about it is is used kind of almost in their defense. I mean, it is used in their defense. And from the other side, though, you could argue that really Borgata violated the Casino Control Act by agreeing to this in the first place, right? By putting themselves in the position where they are offering a game that's no longer in the state's favor. If if the argument is that the casino is only legal because it's uh, giving revenue to the casino. Um, but this sort of argument that, well, they didn't know, so they were, you know, they were holding up their end of the bargain is almost exactly what it said in the ruling. Like, they, they followed the Casino Control Act. Ivy and Son went out of their way to circumvent it, uh, which, I mean, for one thing is ridiculous because it's not like they've read the Casino Control Act up and down, I would assume. <laughs> um, so it's this weird situation where now the court is protecting I feel like I've said it's a weird situation a bunch of times, but it is a weird situation where they're protecting the casino from themselves. And not only that, you could have a situation where the casino agrees to the rules on the floor, potentially even knowing that it's bad for them. Um, although certainly if they do not know it's bad for them and then sue later. Uh, so, you know, you could ask something to a pit boss and they could give you bad information or whatever, and you could do something that, if it does move the house edge in your favor and you get a big win, the casino could come back and say, hey, actually, like, 
we fucked up, but that doesn't matter <laughs> because we are suing you and, and the ruling, the precedent says that you have to pay us back. Uh, so that, I think, sort of sums it up. It's entirely possible that I'm missing things, but sort of this combination of expanding what's considered marking, using the, the movement of House Edge as the reasoning for why it's a violation of the Casino Control Act, and totally removing the onus from the casino to properly implement the games, creates just an enormous, enormous umbrella where you can argue many, many wins, short-term, long-term, whatever, are violating the Casino Control Act. And even if it seems totally clear-cut that it's not, you know, it's one of those things like they talk about a cop following somebody will eventually find like a broken taillight or something. You know, they've got cameras in the casino. They've got all the the opportunity to find this sort of thing. So, you know, if they want to create a case, they would probably be able to create a case. So I know that this is getting into slippery slope and kind of like a worst-case scenario, whatever, but I do want to sort of bring up what the potential implications are, because I know we really didn't go that route and, and people were uh, rightly annoyed at us <laughs> for not sort of covering that side of it. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on my long rambling explanation of this. I mean, does it make sense at least what I'm what I'm getting at? No, and I understand. I mean, I think the thing to, to keep in mind is kind of in this industry, you know, the industry that we're kind of covering in our podcast, like, if you want to be like super honest about it, like casinos do a lot of really shady stuff, right? Like just, you know, you say that, you know, a casino can purposely create a game that's minus EV for them. If you lose, then they win obviously. And if you win, they're going to sue you and get their money back. Right. But, but they do that kind of stuff all the time. Like if you, if you self select, like if you, you know, here in Maryland and I think in every state, there's a number you can call and be like, I'm one of, ban myself from the casino or whatever same in new jersey and the thing is if you go back and you lose money like there's no recourse for you even if you're banned from the casino but if you go back and win money like the casino will never pay you out right so that becomes a 100 percent guaranteed win for the casino when someone's losing money that's not supposed to be there it's the same way if you're not 21 oh yeah absolutely it's the exact same thing right like you know, if you are underage and you lose money, like that money is gone and there's no recourse for you. And if you win money, like you're just not going to get paid out. It, it, I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I think the the scary thing is that it creates more of those situations potentially. I mean, I was trying to think of what are specific examples and I couldn't think of any huge ones really where you'd get a giant win. Um, I mean, something like Pygo Poker, if somebody is repeatedly showing the dealer their cards before everybody set their hand. You know, that's enough information that it could tilt the house edge slightly in your favor. Um, so, like, could you argue that that is a violation? Like, the, by you sort of using that information, even though mm. it's, like, no fault of your own, that you're Probably. violating the Casino Control I mean, Act? So, uh, I mean, I will say personally, like, I haven't actually read the uh, decision like you have. But from from what I hear, it, it is it sounds completely ridiculous to me. And I think may, maybe an even better example is what happened at Golden Nugget a couple years ago. Right. Um, where the casino was using kind of cards that were supposed to be pre-shuffled, except they weren't. So players were kind of thinking about it and they could figure out exactly what cards were coming and betting and, and winning money that way. And like 
I, I don't think that any reasonable person, if they hear the details of that case, would argue that any of the players were doing anything wrong, right? Right. They noticed a pattern. Or, or you it, disagree with that. I do not disagree with that at all. They noticed right. the pattern. <laughs> How can but, you disagree with that? I don't even understand. It, it sounds like that that would be, I mean, not just like, you know, not allowed under this, but like this is like the exact sort of thing that this ruling says would allow the casino to get their money back. Yes, absolutely. I agree completely. The other thing that I thought about was Don Johnson, who took Tropicana and Caesars for millions of dollars and, you know, has become very famous for for that run of Blackjack in Atlantic City. There was a a little documentary about him. There was uh, a very long Atlantic article explaining what he did. And that article actually popped back into my mind because – he similarly asked for a bunch of rules, like a bunch of rule changes in this very high limit game. I think it was, you know, something crazy like $100,000 a hand, which is actually one of the limits that, that Phil Ivey got in Baccarat as well. But, um, and asked for certain little, very, very minor rule changes. And the idea was those things all stacked on each other still did not give him a house edge. Like the casino pumps all those things into the machine and says, we're still expected to win in the long run. We'll take our chances on it with, with somebody who's going to bet this big. But he said, he actually said in the article, what tilted the odds in his favor was dealer mistakes. Like if a dealer mistake makes a mistake and pays him, obviously he's not going to say anything about it. And that's, you know, money in his pocket. If a dealer makes a mistake and does not pay him, it's like the hand never happened. He says, Oh, I, you know, I set these rules. You did this wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so his goal was kind of like to fluster the dealer, uh, in that way, and and you could certainly make this very very same argument. He is creating these rules. He's using the poorly implemented game to his advantage, and he's not being honest about the the mistakes on both sides. Right. And I, I mentioned last episode because you know I felt like I was getting a little bit too like righteous about the situation that when I get mispaid by the house, like I don't say anything and I take the money and. It's just something I chalk up to whatever dealer error. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, it is an error in my favor. But I mean, I think the other thing with with the, that situation is that, you know, the other thing he took advantage of is that he simply said, like, the casinos were offering him just like too much cash back on what he was losing too. it's just right. like they hadn't done the math or thought about it, which was certainly something that, you know, whatever they should have yeah. done. We had lost rebates. Um, right. And one of the things I'll say about this that's kind of, you know, not just to sort of like exonerate our discussion of it in the previous episode, but I think that's something that's been the way a lot of people have looked at it. Like Daniel Negreanu had a series of tweets talking about this when the ruling first came out in October. And his his side of it, which is totally understandable, is – this is just a baller move when you can figure something like this out. The casino should suck it up. You know, they got beat fair, like they beat us all the time. You know, if you can finally beat them, they should just suck it up and take it. And that is certainly a fair argument, but again, it's, it's going the other direction maybe from what I was saying and, and sort of, you were kind of in, in the middle leaning toward more toward that, but but it still misses the point of what does this mean for everyone else? What does it mean for everyone else going forward? And and one of the other things I, I thought about, and and somebody please in the Facebook group or Twitter uh, 
let me know if I'm just totally talking out of my ass here, which I've certainly done plenty on this topic <laughs> over the course of two episodes, is what about a player who only plays slots that have a progressive or video poker that has a, have a progressive jackpot when that gets to positive EV, which I guess you wouldn't really know what that is in slots, but arguably, I, I would think, based on the ruling, is that if you're doing that and you're only playing slots where you have an edge, it could be considered that you are like not fairly, quote-unquote, playing the slots. Like You are not playing them the way they were meant to be played, where you know you should really be spending like you know most of your time playing slots where the house edge is very is is strong um, but but here you are really only playing the ones where you've got an edge um so that is is a murky area and and it sounds ridiculous to say and as i say i, it, I think that, it sounds I, so 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 from my perspective that is like the quintessential kind of if you were an ap and you know i don't know if there's ap message boards i'm sure there are somewhere like it sounds like the kind of thing i would read on there just like the quintessential slippery slope argument of like you know like this player he he won money this night from us because he dared to take max odds on craps instead of not taking odds on craps which helps the house out this player dared to play pie gal and he didn't take the side bet so well for this where where the argument would come in and there was actually some discussion about this in the everything ac casinos facebook group um which just i think cracked 600 members so if you listen to this you're probably already in it but if not go check out everything ac casinos uh facebook group they talk much much more about like specific gambling things maybe than our facebook group but one of the things that came up is these players who apparently are fairly prevalent in Atlantic City that sit at a progressive slot bank and mo totally monopolize the seats. Like they don't mm. want anybody else playing there. They lay their jackets down. They put their cards in multiple machines so that if you come and try to play, you can't do it. To me, that is where you really get into murkier areas, right? Because then it's like, well, now you're denying other people play, and like, is that allowed, and all that stuff? And like, yes, you could go to casino to the casino, and they would surely tell you to move your jacket, <laughs> tell this person to move their uh, jacket. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, like every AP that's listening right now is being like, yeah, that's right. But I, I'm not sure I buy it. I mean, look, does it does it happen? Absolutely. Like, there's a couple slots that at least the last few times we've been there at Caesars have, you know, these are, these are quarter video poker machines and they had $2,000 plus progressives uh, or, or the quarter video poker machine where you won your hit your Royal on jacks are better. Oh yeah. That's uh, positive, positive EV. Absolutely. Yep. It, 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 it might not have been positive EV, but at, at least at $2,000 plus it's like 99 plus percent. So it is definitely close, but uh, you know, I don't know. It just, to me, it seems like so ridiculous and it sounds like every kind of other slippery slope argument that I've ever heard, which believe me, I'm, I'm very familiar with just given my historical kind of political leanings. Like I'm, believe me, I've, I'm excellent at slippery slope arguments, but, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I totally buy that, but uh, there's a large portion of our audience. I'd say probably even more than half of our audience that, that, is agreeing with everything you're saying right now. <laughs> so so I, I was very worried when I was sort of writing up my notes for this about Slippery Slope, and which is a logical fallacy. Like, absolutely, you, it's so tempting to make the argument that because X happened, all these much worse things are going to happen. Um, 
and I agree that it's a problem. I th- and I think this idea that if you win a progressive jack- jackpot for $5,000, they're going to sue you and take it back. You know, the counter to that is that the negative publicity would be hopefully just a crushing blow to whatever the casino is. I mean, they're not totally related, but like the Redskins had a bunch of season ticket holders who could no longer basically afford whatever their 12 year plan was of season tickets and just didn't pay. And while the Redskins were claiming they had hundreds of thousands of people on the waiting list, they were then suing these people for not paying for next season's tickets that the Redskins could have easily sold. And the backlash was swift and incredibly ferocious. And I think they just totally backed down. Like they realized it just was not worth it. And I think if the casino did that on smallish jackpots, it would be way, way worse. I mean, you're talking about your primary product that you were offering and devaluing it greatly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Gambling. And and (laughs) basically, you know, saying you can't win. I mean, there are other instances uh, you can bet on that talked about an instance where, Somebody won a car at an Indian casino, um, and they were like, you can't take the car. Like, <laughs> you know, basically, this is the amount of money we're offering that you can take in lieu of the car, and it's way, way less than what the car is worth. And and it started out sort of as like, you know, I may be misremembering, but I think the gist is it started out like, well, you know, you're going to have to pay taxes on it, so you're really only going to get this much worth. And, you know, the resale value is this, so you're really only going to get this much if you, you know, resell it and then pay the taxes, blah, blah, blah. So that's why we're offering this. And then she, the, the woman who won it was just like, no, I want the car. I came here for the car. I want the car. And then they were like, well, the dealer needs however many days to deliver the car and blah, blah, blah. And then basically the end of the story was like, you can't have the car. <laughs> Like, like well, the car I, is not a I, real I, prize. I have to say Indian casino stuff is, like, very different than, like, the state-sanctioned casino stuffs, so. Right, but, but I mean, just yes. an example, sort of, of where the casino's kind of putting the screws to you. And, and right. sort of that reminded me of, like, say you win $50,000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would the casino really come and say, like, well, you know, you're, we're suing you for this $50,000 because we have on video that you did this that could be construed as like, you know, looking at your partner's cards. And so, (laughs) and so this is so slippery slope. So I hate to even say it, but I'm gonna, um, with the caveat, with the preface of like, I don't actually think this will happen, but potentially (laughs) you could say, Oh, we're, you won $50,000. You're already going to have to pay $20,000 of that in taxes. If you win the lawsuit, you're going to have to pay whatever 10,000 in lawyer fees. So, why don't you just give us $18,000 of it back right now and we'll call it settled? Um, I, I mean, companies do that all the time. Like these, uh, like patent trolls, like that is their business model. They're like, we're going to sue you. Like you can pay us $500 or $1,000 or whatever, which is like so dramatically less than you would ever pay a lawyer to defend yourself. Right. Like it's just the wrong decision to defend yourself. And, you know, so sort of like, random people who get this just don't pay, but big corporations who kind of, it's their job to run the numbers and they're like, yeah, that's actually exactly right. So we'll just pay you. Yeah. And that's sort of what was giving me heart palpitations last night <laughs> as I was thinking, as I was going down, the, I was on my sled, I was headed down the slippery slope, um, was <laughs> like, wow, they will really, they will pay people to just sit there and calculate like what 
and the number is different for everybody, right? Like for me, it may be $25,000 that it's worth it to defend myself. For somebody else, it may be a hundred. Like they're going to look at you and be like, this is what your number is. So we're going to sue you. Like you've hit that number. We will sue you. The difference is like a patent troll is, is coming at you for something that, you know, their whole business model is, is to be a patent troll. The mm. whole business model of the casino is not to recoup their losses by suing you. So sort of what calmed me down a little bit was like, you know, it would only take a couple of these suits for just outrage to be insane. I can't imagine this would happen. Um, I'm sure somebody will tell me that I'm wrong and that it totally can happen and will. Yeah, I'm sure that a, a, a lot of people listening right now think that that absolutely could happen. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I I still think the biggest people who have to worry about this are advantage players, and I think this is a devastating blow for for advantage players. Um, but there, there definitely are implications for the average player. I think just coming back to this because there was a lot of of concern about sort of the angle that we took on it and, and talking about it. I think is good, and so sort of you know I've presented a lot of scenarios. I don't think a lot of some of them are not realistic. Some of them should actually probably concern people so just uh, two two things to kind of wrap up first i mean i i come out of this kind of understanding a lot more about what the concerns are i mean my my feeling specifically on this case is still i think that they didn't do anything illegal and as such they should not have to pay a penny back However, I still think that they did stuff that is exceptionally shady and just in my mind kind of shadier than counting cards or only playing video poker that's that's plus EV or, or anything else. Um, but, I mean, that's that's just my opinion and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the facts at all. It's just how I feel and I'm not going to back down on that. Um, well, you can and- go ahead. Sure. That's and that's uh, just to extrapolate on that. That's part of the problem is that the ruling specifically says they did not do anything illegal. Right. It's well, that they violated I, the Casino Control I, Act. Yeah, that's dumb. And, and since it's a civil suit, <laughs> you know, so basically, like the criminal element got dropped, but they still lose, and that's right. where it really gets kind of. And like some of the some of the part of the reason that people were getting fired up last time is because I mentioned the the f word in in the podcast, even though I said I don't quite think it's that. But I kind of danced around it a little bit, and that was my fault. I mean, it's it's not fraud at all. It's not even remotely close to fraud, in my opinion. So, so that was my bad for bringing that up. But my base feelings about it are still the same: is that they shouldn't have to pay this back. But I, I still think it was shady. And and I understand that that if you are an advantage player, I mean, this is kind of you know, especially if you're a professional advantage player, like this is this kind of thing is how you make your living. And, you know, of course, you would take offense to that. And I, I totally understand. And, you know, I don't know. It's just my opinion. And I, I don't think any any less of you or, or Phil Ivey. I just I just think that this this specific instance, like, I, you know, I wouldn't have done it. But sure. To each their own. I don't think it's illegal. Right. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely not. And, and one of the things that it's very interesting. It's just sort of reading more about it and understanding more where people are coming from. I mean, I, I think we went in sort of trying to respond to the outrage. We sort of went in with the default sense of like, everybody's very outraged. 
are we that outraged? But sort of we were looking at the wrong part of it, maybe. So, right, ho- we're hopefully looking at the, the facts of the case instead of the ruling. Yeah. So hopefully we clear that up. Absolutely ongoing discussion in the Facebook group. If anybody has anything else to say, if you're still mad at us, we're glad to hear it. We, I I actually thoroughly enjoyed the disagreement for whatever. Yeah, and I mean, believe me, we can we can take the heat on this. I mean, I thought the the conversation was very interesting and 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 I enjoyed it. Yeah. So so uh, the second point I had was that coming into this, you specifically said we were not going to talk about this for a half hour, and then you were right. It was actually forty minutes. So <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's, I'm fine with that. Um, anyways, should, let's, let's move on to, I, I think sim- it's time. Yes. Similarly upbeat <laughs> topics. Uh, do you want to intro this thing or should I go ahead right into it? So, uh, you know, I think, uh, yesterday an article came out on route 40, which is rt40.com. Uh, it's definitely a, a site worth checking out. They're kind of the. I don't know, what are they, the South Jersey kind of independent news site? Is that an accurate way of describing them? Yeah, I mean, they describe themselves as, as like watchdog journalism. It's a, it's two people who right. uh, really do the reporting and, and get out there and write about sort of public interest or like, I don't know if public interest is the right description, but uh, if stuff that's really sort of in-depth coverage of, of these broad issues, so... Right. I I will say that if you kind of find our general news chat interesting at all, which I suspect is like 50 percent of people probably like it and 50 percent of people don't like it at all. Uh, But if you if you find that interesting, it's definitely a website worth checking out. So RT40.com. But uh, they came out with a long article written by Bill Sprouse about uh, the South Inlet and the CRDA. And it was basically an article about a specific, just uh, like multi-story, small, uh, multifamily home, essentially, that was going to be built on just one of these lots. Um, The issue is that the CRDA has the entire South Inlet basically zoned for, uh, I don't remember exactly what the zone is, but it's basically just zoned for like big you know, huge development and not for like this one lot multifamily home. Yeah. It's a tourism district. Right. So it's for like so it's essentially to, to go ahead and do this. He has to, he had to present his, his case to the CRDA and explain why he thinks this is a good thing. And, you know, the CRDA is, is comprised of a lot of different people. Uh, just like there's a lot of state people, there's a lot of, there's a couple county and city people, there's the current executive director who has since stepped down, I believe, was a like pretty well-known developer that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, and the feeling was very mixed on whether or not they should allow this to happen. And the article kind of goes through the, the couple of cases or the couple of times this was brought up in CRDA meetings and what happened. And I, it's an incredibly interesting article. It's worth a read. I think it helps explain a lot of the issues that Atlantic City faces that are not of their own design, uh, which I have to say, I mean, I think that generally me and you are both fairly 
mm, we're like Atlantic City apologists, and we I, th- I think we kind of come into things saying like, well, this like terrible stuff happens to Atlantic City, but it's not totally their fault. But it, it, it has to be said, a lot of stuff is their fault. But I think this article kind of lays out a lot of things that happen that Atlantic City was all for. I mean, like it said, for example, that in, in the article that Don Guardian was 100 percent behind just, you know, putting anything in the South End, which if you've walked through is it is desolate and barren and looks horrible. Um, and, and some of the, the things they have to overcome to do that. And, you know, the, the suspicion, given what we've talked about a couple episodes ago with the kind of new head of the CRDAs, is probably only going to become worse for the city. So what do you have to add? Uh, yeah, so the, just one of the things to say is, like, this guy This guy bought this small plot of land. It was, like, you know, a garden or something. And and the ruling, initially they said this thing's zoned for, like, 80 different things. I'm not sure you could actually put anything on there because of all the zoning restrictions on it. Um, like, competing zoning restrictions where it's, right. like, it well, has to well, be this, well, but actually it has to be this, right? No, it wasn't. I think the, the reason that nothing could be built there wasn't because of the zoning. It was because of the uh, uh, I can't remember plan. real estate word, which I should know because I have a degree in real estate. But uh, it's like the setbacks. Like if you look at all the setbacks, like it's actually bigger than the property. So you right. literally yeah. cannot build anything on the property legally. Yes, absolutely. So so there was a question at the CR in the CRDA of like, should we just push this through and allow it because that's ridiculous that there are these setbacks or not. And initially it got tabled and just months went by and nothing happened. And finally they brought it back up and there was sort of this question of like, should we just allow them to do it or should we not allow them to do it because it will make it more difficult to do some kind of crazy mega development in the future, which is what the master plan calls for is like this super awesome, like this thing's going to be like Vegas in the North Inlet, (laughs) you know, all crammed into the North Inlet or whatever. Um, And, and it was, it's interesting because it's sort of like this competing interest of like, obviously you want the land to be worth more, but then do you want the land to be worth more? Because maybe it's almost like, well, this would increase the value of the land a little because you would allow development, which currently nobody can do, but it would also make it harder for some giant developer to come in and say, they're going to build, you know, some Xanadu type project or, you know, some giant thing. Um, yeah, that'll never actually happen. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was just a super interesting article. And and like Craig just said, a lot, a lot of it was that right now the CRDA's incentives are to keep property values as low as possible to help enable developers to come in and actually buy all of the property that they would need to make a mega development. So yeah, a a lot of the premise of the article was that it's actually the CRDA is trying to suppress the land values in the area right now, which seems to be, if you think about it, totally counter to what, you know, a normal government agency that would be in charge of something like this would want to do. It seems insane. There was a point in the article where I was sitting alone in my office reading it, and I actually, like, involuntarily threw my hands in the air and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I just couldn't even – I was like, are you serious? I'm just yelling about it because I couldn't even understand it. Like, they ruled against the guy. Like, they decided, like, no, we just can't do it. So clearly the interest of some completely hypothetical and highly unlikely mega developer is greater than – doing something like doing something with the land and that's the craziest part to me um and even one of the things that somebody brought up was like 
they specifically brought up this idea of like in the in the meeting of so the concern is that they're going to have to pay off this guy if they ever want to build a giant development there and somebody said well they're already going to have to pay off tony baloney's because it's in that area right and, and so it's like okay but you know two is worse than one was basically the reason for the ruling it seemed like like now you'd have two people that you'd have to pay off so it just seems totally insane it's totally infuriating if you're if you, I'm not like a total free market like hawk or whatever. I don't. I, mean, I, uh, I work for a government, so I can't be that crazy about it. But uh, you know, if you like the free market, and if you are a real estate person for sure, I think this just must drive you insane. I mean, the idea that you are artificially suppressing value, basically meaning that anything that would create any sort of development and and viability in this area cannot happen. It's just crazy. And one of the things that happened today sort of in fortuitous timing was that resorts posted, I think, on Instagram an aerial shot of Atlantic City from the north. And just the the, the empty land, the empty beachfront land at that part of the, uh, of, of the boardwalk of that part of Atlantic City is crazy. And you would never see it in any other developed beach town. It would either be super rich people's houses it would be storefront development it would be something that is highly highly expensive and the fact that the land is just practically worthless because you can't do anything with it is insane it just completely drove me crazy and and the uh so the article is called twilight zone is written by bill sprouse absolutely go read it it's very 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 well reported it is infuriating if you are <laughs> interested in the development of that part of Atlantic City, but uh, just really worth reading. Yeah, no, it, it really is a, like just a very good article and kind of lays out a lot of the problems that, uh, you know, if if not Atlantic City itself has, but a lot of the, 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 the people and I don't want to say developers, but like the very kind of small time investors have in Atlantic City right now. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like, OK, so it, to go slippery slope, maybe the other direction, the theme of this episode, uh, you know, you sort of need these smaller developments to prove, to sort of have proof of concept to, and to build up and to get to a point where people are like, Oh, this is a viable area to invest in. Well, Otherwise well, of, no big developer is going to do it. Yeah. Not only that, but you need these, these small, in, I'm not even going to say, like I said, I'm going to say investors because there are no big developers moving in there right now. Yeah, so I don't you, know. You I can mean, like sit around forever and wait for someone to come in or you can, you know, kind of get what you can there. And, you know, I, I think part of it, too, is that historically that area has always been kind of a residential area, which is clearly not what the CRDA wants for it. But, you know, I, I mean, it just depends, like, is is some money and some building up of that area and kind of like building these kind of nicer properties there? Is that like better for the city than it? you know, sitting vacant until like maybe or maybe not some mega casino resort buys the land and builds a casino there, which like, let me tell you, like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Given I, the current gaming climate on the East coast. Yeah. I mean, I agree completely. And, and sort of the last thing I, I just want to say about it is like the reading that and sort of knowing, like everybody knows that this is not coming, right? This is not some foolish, there aren't a bunch of people saying like, maybe it'll happen. It's so they must be thinking <laughs> If the price gets low enough, somebody will just take the risk. Like basically what's happening with Blatstein buying the showboat and Glenn Stroud buying Revel. Like the price got low enough that even if they didn't really have that much interest in 
those specific properties, it's so low risk and so high upside that why not do it? And that's just a terrible way to create development like that. I feel like is a terrible way to hope for some miracle <laughs> to happen because then you get cheap development. You get showboat sitting there with, with nothing done in it. And man, we've really shit on showboat the last couple episodes, but <laughs> you get it sort of just sitting there with nothing done to it with its old sign still on it. You know, you get sort of somebody who comes in and does the bare minimum and says, well, if this works, we'll add to it. And so it's just bad. I, I don't know. I hated it. Um, but it was a good article. <laughs> it, it was a really good article. And, and, and like I said, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to kind of go too far the other way and, and say that all of Atlantic city's problems are, are based on the CRDA. Um, because I think a lot of problems are because of the CRDA, but it's too, it's too hard to, um, I mean, it, it's just oversimplifying it because a, a lot of the issues Atlantic City is in is because of the city itself. Uh, you know, may, maybe not now. Maybe they're doing better stuff now, but but in the recent past. So moving on to some just really quick notes, since we've been really long-winded about everything else, uh, there are a few closings to mention. Uh, I forgot to mention that Starbucks in the playground is actually, I think, now closed. So when I was there. Uh, in early December with my wife, we went over there. There was a sign up that said our lease is ending at the end of December uh, and we are closing. So if you really enjoyed that Starbucks with the great view, you can no longer get your coffee there. So sorry about that. Um, I know you have complaints about that Starbucks, but. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mentioned in the Facebook group, which I thought I actually said on an episode, but you told me it was definitely the Facebook group. The big issue with that Starbucks, the thing that made it fail, is that it opened at 11 a.m., which is completely ridiculous for a Starbucks. And it was just because the playground opened at 11 a.m., so they, they couldn't physically open earlier than that. So I just think that that, you know, that's not going to work, especially for yeah Starbucks in a mall, which actually the mall gets incredibly low traffic itself. Yeah. So, well, hopefully something goes in that space because it is a great space with it, it does have amazing people. views. It had. It even had like a balcony, right? I think it did, but you could. It had go an outdoor out on space. There. I'm ninety nine percent sure. Um, but I don't think you could go out there, or maybe you used to be able to, and I you, think could you could by the end. I don't know. Um, I don't know. So the other thing, closing Sammy D's at Harris, which has gotten very mixed reviews. People either love it or have terrible service and messed up food. <laughs> uh, we actually had both when we went. Like I had great a great meal, and my wife's was just a complete disaster. <laughs> uh, but that was years ago. Sammy D's is at Harrah's, uh, right across from the pool after dark. That will be closing after Martin Luther King Day, so in just a couple weeks. Uh, they're going to reopen only two weeks later, apparently, with a new name, a new menu, uh, and different hours, I guess. Like, Sammy D's, when it opened, was 24 hours, or at least it was supposed to be 24 hours, and then their hours just kept getting cut and kept getting cut. And it was just almost impossible to know when it was even supposed to be open. I think it was really inconsistent, and even with its posted hours, was not true to those and was really frustrating for a lot of people. So hopefully something else goes in there that's decent. Um, that was kind of the main breakfast option there for, for people who woke up and maybe hung over, wanted to go get some food. So we'll see what happens there. And also right across from there, the pool after dark is going to close starting January 12th. So less than a week from now, they're going to have an event on January 12th and then they will close for two months and do a major renovation. So, uh, 
those last two items, Seven Stars Insider, uh, if you read Seven Stars Insiders, um, their posts that had both of those in them. So it definitely a good resource. Go read Seven Stars Insider, and uh, you'll see all of the latest about Atlantic City Casinos and other Total Rewards properties, what's new, what's closing, and everything like that. Um, so moving forward, we have a lot of Taj topics to talk about. A lot happened with the Taj Mahal in the last week since we last talked. Um, so I guess everybody is sort of doing all their new stuff the week after uh, after New Year. Everybody decided to get a bunch of stuff done. <laughs> um, because a lot happened just over the course of a single day. Uh, I don't know how close you were following it as it was actually going on, Kyle. Not that close. Not that close. Okay. Um, so... Sometime in the morning, um, I want to say it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, probably Tuesday. Monday was a holiday. Um, so uh, January 3rd, whatever day that was, yeah, Tuesday, there was news that they have placed a deed restriction on the Taj Mahal, so something that should be very familiar to you if you followed the casino closures in Atlantic City, they decided to file for a deed restriction that would not allow the property to be a casino uh, going forward. So that is immediately like a red flag went up. Uh, Nicholas Huba of the Press of Atlantic City uh, wrote the article about it that I'll link to. It said that it can be lifted for an undisclosed release price. So basically... Uh, basically just creating sort of a two-tiered value for the property, right? Like if you want to buy this and use it as a non-casino property, it's going to be this price. If you want to buy it and use it as a casino, it is a higher price, um, which I guess from a business standpoint, if you can do that, it makes business sense. But uh, frustrating because the deed restrictions have just been this murky creator of bullshit, whether it's Showboat that had a deed restriction and a covenant competing with them <laughs> saying can be a casino and also cannot be a casino or Atlantic club, which was bought by Caesars and put or who put a restriction on it that says it cannot be a casino. Um, I don't know. So, so that happened. And, and I, I think the general thought for a couple hours was, okay, they're, you know, trying to play hardball with the state who has come out and said, you have to be a casino. Uh, you have to work with the union and, and create a contract with the union if you're going to reopen or you're going to lose, lose your license. So that was my first thought was this is him doing this to say like, oh, you don't want – you know, you're going to put the screws to me. I'm going to make it so that this can't even be a casino. Um, except then just a few hours later, Nicholas Huba reported on Twitter that – Carl Icahn and, and Trump Taj Mahal are voluntarily giving up their gaming license. So, so much for that. <laughs> that, that pretty much ended any rumors that they were going to reopen. Uh, I got another wave of disappointment. You know, we talked about uh, Trump Taj Mahal is our biggest disappointing thing of 2016 or one of the biggest disappointing things of 2016. Um, so it seems like that's it. Like, it seems like it just goes out with this whimper, like not going to fight the state on this anymore. Uh, he's just going to close it and, and see what happens. There were rumors we talked about last episode that maybe he was looking to sell. I think he actually said since then that he's not actively trying to sell it. So I guess maybe that's more hardball with the state that he's like, well, I'm just going to sit on this thing forever, which he's certainly done with, 
Fontainebleau, Fontainebleau. In, yeah, in, in Vegas. So annoying because it means that nothing can happen there. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on the, the license, giving up the license and the deed restriction. I mean, it just seems like, you know, he's obviously not very happy with the state legislature and, you know, it's, it's his right. And, and I, I think part of it is also that, you know, like how profitable is the Taja ever going to be? Like, I don't know. It, it needs a lot of work, I think, to become nice again, which is something we've talked about in past episodes. And like, how profitable is it going to be if he sells it right now? Like, not that profitable because I don't think that much is going on in Atlantic city. So like, honestly, I think just from a business standpoint, like I don't think his decision is that bad. I mean, of course it's bad for the city, but, but for him personally, I mean, he just needs to wait for hopefully something to happen in the city. Uh, so I saw this get brought up on Twitter and I am of this opinion, I think, but do you think that these deed restrictions should just be illegal? <laughs> like to be able to put this restriction on a property that, is meant to be a casino and to basically artificially devalue the property. And we've seen it now happen th- three separate times, four if you count Claridge. Uh, do you think that they should, the state should just say, like, no, you can't do this anymore? Or is that too much state involvement in, uh, <laughs> in the market? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I think, but let me tell you, like, they have talked about, like, there have been talking about, I don't know if it was at the state level or the city level, but they were talking about just kind of after the fact, making them illegal. Like I know that came up probably around a year ago. Like retroactively. Yeah. Just being like, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, that would be tough. I've said repeatedly, I think if somebody fights this, they would probably win. Cause there is the thing they did. I think when we talked about it is they created some very general law uh, saying like, you can't do things that are not in the best interest of the city or whatever. And I think if mm-hmm. you fought that on those grounds, um, obviously this is not in the best interest of the city. Like this is in very much the best interest of Carl Icahn. <laughs> but as far as the city's concerned, like this is bad for them and, and the deed restrictions are bad for them. And it is, it's weird. Like deed restrictions, you know, for, for resident residential use are used to say like, you are buying a house in a yard. You cannot subsection your house and put another house there. You cannot, you know, sell retail out of your house or whatever because this is a neighborhood. And for <laughs> for developments, it's like it has to – it's meant for this. So it's weird to create a deed restriction that's like the purpose that we built this for can't do it anymore. Like that is just really weird to me. Um I would be perfectly happy seeing the state step in here and saying like, this is crap. Just stop, stop doing this. It's ridiculous. It's, it's cre it's devaluing a property. It's, it's falsely devaluing a property, but or artificially devaluing the property. Uh, so one thing that happened is guardian held a sort of, or Don guardian mayor of Atlantic city. I'm assuming you know that if you're listening to this, uh, held a, a sort of unofficial state of the city, um, and said that Carl Icahn should sell, uh, that he should sell the property, take his profit, and move on. And, Gar- and, and Carl Icahn's response to that was, okay, well, I've sunk $300 million into this thing. So if you want to buy it for that amount, I am happy to sell it for to you, <laughs> um, which would be what it would take, I guess, for him to be making a profit and moving on. Um, 
so I, I mean, I think that was just an off the cuff comment, but it got a lot of play. I don't know. Do you, uh, it's just sort of a funny, random thing. I don't know if there's much else to say about it. <laughs> I don't think there's too much to say about it. Uh, should we move on to, man, we got a lot of bad news, this thing. Uh, <laughs> MGM taking Borgata down a peg in its craps odds. We should. So uh, just today, uh, Michael Traeger, who is kind of the the founder, I believe, of Travelzork and, and a pretty active member of our Facebook group, uh, posted that he is at the Borgata right now. And uh, essentially, they, they've taken the odds uh, down from five times odds to three, four, five. Um, and basically, he wrote an article kind of wondering, like, is this the first domino to fall in the MGM kind of takeover of Borg in 2017. So uh, what do you think? Uh, It's not the best look uh, because – so this is apparently standard across all of MGM, three, four, five times odds. Just a quick explanation um, because we got asked that on Facebook – I mean on Twitter of like can you explain this in layman's terms? And I was kind of like, well, not in 140 characters. <laughs> uh, so a couple other people gave it a shot and did a better job than I did, uh, Michael Trigger being one of them. But basically in craps, um, you probably know this if you're listening to the podcast, but if you're not a craps player, before the first roll of sort of a turn, if you will, like a a, play, a shooter's roll, you put out money on the pass line and whatever the the roll is, if it's not... Two, two, three, or twelve, you lose your money. Seven or eleven, you get paid your money on the pass line bet. Anything else, it sets a point. So once the point is set, the person's trying to roll that point again, and you're you get paid when they hit the point again before they roll a seven. So on the money that you've already put out there, you're getting paid odds that are not true odds. So you're getting paid, you know, not a terrible payback, but not particularly great. You can then back up your bet with some amount, a multiplier of your initial bet. And that is totally even house odds. So you get paid the true odds, meaning there is zero house edge on the bet uh, on what the money that you back it up with. So it's to your advantage to back up your bet as much as you can possibly like afford or as much as you are comfortable with backing up your bet. Uh, so Atlantic City Standard is five times, right? So if you bet 10, you can back it up with 50, no matter what the point is. In Vegas, I think three, four, five is is the norm, right? Meaning if it's six or eight, you can back it up three times. No, other way around, <laughs> right? Uh, five times on six and eight, four times on five and nine, and three times on uh, four and 10. And that's just because if you do three, four, five, then it's seven units on any win. Uh, is that right? Correct me. Six units on any win. Yes. No, no. So it's, you would get paid seven. You get paid seven. Yeah. You win six, you get six plus your what? bet, right? No, no, you get paid seven. Anyways, ah, I should never be allowed to talk craps. So <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, you get because you get even money on your pass, so that's one, and then you get paid six on your odds. Yes, okay, so that's why it's seven. So you get six <laughs> on the odds money specifically. Yes. Okay. Oh god, I'm so bad at this. Um, yeah. So uh, for me, it doesn't affect me because I do three, four, five, or less <laughs> when I play craps. But if you are a dice player, like this is very, very frustrating for you because the sort of five times everywhere in Atlantic City is—I won't go as far as to say it's player friendly because. 
Wild Wild West used to have 100 times odds, and there are places in Vegas, probably mostly downtown, that have 10 times odds. Um, but, you know, it's better than 3, 4, 5 everywhere in Vegas. You know, Win now has 2 times odds. That's really crappy. But uh, the real question is not sort of what does this mean to you specifically. It's where does this take you on the slippery slope, Kyle? <laughs> so, uh, like, are you nervous about what is next the nine six full pay jacks are better. The good cocktail service. Like, what else are they coming for? The twenty dollar pie gal poker and pie gal tiles tables. Are those going to twenty five? Or does do you think this is the start? Or are you are you optimistic still that they're not going to mess this thing up? No, I think it's the start. You're you're at the top of the slope, and I, you're about I to. Think, you're asking your friend to push yeah, you down. I, I think I think we're going down this one. Yeah, I just I can't see any way that this this is not the start. I mean, this is very very clearly like MGM policy is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, guess guess what else is MGM policy? No full pay video poker anywhere. <laughs> like you're just not going to find it. Right. Um, well, I I don't know about that. I mean, it's just it, it it could be that, you know, on the strip there's basically no full pay video poker anywhere. So, in Atlantic City it's it's sort of around so I, I don't know if that'll be totally going away but we'll see stuff is going to get worse though i think under mgm i'm interested to see what happens with this um michael traeger said that a lot of people were just like well screw that and took their money and cashed out and left um in vegas certainly when these rules are implemented everybody threatens to do that on blogging forums and and podcast listeners claim that they're going to do that and they probably do but that doesn't make up the majority of the gambling population so in the long run like a lot of people don't understand what six five blackjack is or five times odds on craps or anything like that they just see a table and they go put their money down and hope for the best ac is a gambling town much 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 more than vegas as is clearly shown by what percentage of revenue is from gambling in AC versus Vegas, where Vegas now I think is like two thirds non-gambling, and I think AC is like the opposite or even more <laughs> uh, gambling revenue. So I could see where this could backfire on them, um, and hopefully they would very quickly realize their mistake and and turn tail and go back to the old five times odds. Uh, but maybe not. Maybe Borgata's popular enough that I don't eh, think they'll ever go back. I, I don't think they're going back. It's never changing for the better again. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, three, four, five, pushing it six, five, blackjack, much, much tougher sell. Yeah, uh, they do uh, have it like outside of dusk at Caesars, but like, yeah, it it is in places. I, I, like, there's also I don't think the odds are particularly great, and in, in a lot of the the tables in Wild of West. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some tables that went to six, five, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, but I imagine there's still going to be plenty of three, two tables in there as well, at least for the kind of medium term. Yeah. I mean, I expect whatever's right outside of premier nightclub is going to go six, five. So it'll be interesting, obviously sort of, I'd like to think we're better than that. You know, as Atlantic City gamblers who know the odds and everything, 
when it comes down to it, we're probably not. <laughs> uh, so, so my other question is, we just had an episode a week ago where we gave Borgata the best table games of 2016. Can they possibly win the best table games of 2017 with three, four, or five times odds on craps? Yes, I think so. Three, four, time, five is obviously not as good as five, but it's okay. If they went like a win Las Vegas and did double, then I would say probably not. I think that would be disqualifying. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I might. So Caesars was close for me already, right? And so this might tilt it even, make it even closer. Like it's just razor thin. Uh, other changes, like certainly six five blackjack, would just completely tilt it the other way. But I think just the three four five is probably not enough. Um, but that's not sending the message I want to send to Borgata. So you cannot win Borgata. I know you're like printing out the plaques for 2016 to put up. Like we won best of 2016 table games due for a win. Do not, you will not get 2017 with three, four, five times odds. I'll say that right now. It's threatening. They're scared. I know it. Yeah, they're scared. Yeah, I think so. We hold clout in this town. <laughs> I say this town as neither of us sit anywhere close within a hundred and whatever miles of Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we have gone so much longer than I thought we were going to go on, and we should probably wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's just say we've gone a lot longer than you thought we were going to go. <laughs> wrap up. I yeah, was man. right on. I said an hour fifteen. I I nailed it. <laughs> so yeah, we we can we can wrap this up. Uh, I think. I don't know. Hopefully this was an interesting episode to people. I think it kind of like some people will have found it quite interesting. Some people will have been like, where was the gambling talk? But yeah. uh, when do we ever talk about gambling, though, really? Yeah, we're kind of like the non gambling gambling podcast. Yeah, that happens. Uh, so anyway, uh, I know we've mentioned it a few times throughout the show, but uh, if you want to interact with us, uh, you should join our Facebook group. There's a lot of good conversation in there from a lot of our readers who are a lot smarter than us. So if you're interested, it's facebook.com slash groups slash do for a win. Uh, you can check out our content, which allegedly I heard there's a blog post coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm about 30% done with our best of 2016 blog post. If you listen to the last episode, you're probably not going to find a lot of new information there because <laughs> um, it actually has quotes from <laughs> the episode. But uh, I do want to get up a blog post at some point. So if you want to re read the sweet blog post that's going to come out, hopefully during 2017, so it's not more than a year behind, <laughs> uh, you should keep a, a sharp eye out on doforawin.com. Just re hit refresh, F5, just repeatedly, mash if F5. you want to listen to our podcast somehow and don't know how to do that somehow, uh, you should search for Do For A Win or Atlantic City on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or go to doforawin.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to Craig and, and send questions, you can do so at Twitter at do for a win or send questions uh, to do for a win at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know. Any last thoughts, Craig? Uh, no, just that, uh, again, very interesting conversation in the Facebook group. If anybody out there is laughing right now and saying that I have, you know, totally tucked my tail between my legs and, and turned back on whatever I've said in the previous episode, that's totally welcome. I mean, you're totally probably true i mean <laughs> but uh it's a great conversation and very like i thought very 
well handled by by the people in the group like yeah no i, I mean i i think that the conversation was interesting and like i said i think uh, we can probably take your uh let's say constructive criticism about our our views i think we're we're both grown men and and can handle it yeah feel free to disagree yeah no and and and, and i think we do want to thank all of you guys who listen and who chime in and who give your opinions because i mean it, this this podcast is something that we definitely enjoy doing it doing just just on its own, but it's it's really great to kind of hear that there's other people that that share our interests and and we appreciate all the feedback we get. All right, so and uh, we should uh, have another episode next week, hopefully for y'all. So I hope you have a nice week. Yeah, fast turnaround. That's how we do it. Yeah, for now. Bourbon so good. I just want the taste. Like if they made non-alcohol, that's just a ridiculous statement. I won't even finish the sentence. <laughs> It'd be like your everyday drink. <laughs> you have your big glass of non-alcoholic bourbon with lunch. <laughs> bourbon soda. <laughs>